I am incredibly honored to have as our guest speaker, Pastor Jeremy Isaacs from Generations Church in Canton, Georgia. Pastor Jeremy is no stranger to the Go Church family. As a matter of fact, this is his third consecutive time speaking on the last Sunday of the year. So this has kind of become a tradition around here and it is always an honor to have him here with us. I consider Pastor Jeremy to be a part of our teaching team here at Go Church and he is anointed and he is a gifted communicator and you're in for a real treat today. He and his wife, Corey, are truly mine and Kimberly's closest and dearest friends and in every single way, these two make us better. So again, love you guys. It's an honor to have you, Pastor Jeremy, Corey, we love you. Also, there are four kids, Cooper, Branson, Tucker, Kinley. So thankful for you guys and for this incredibly special family. So go church, let's show some love, come on. If you are in person with us today, stand up on your feet, put your hands together and welcome to the stage, my best friend, my brother from another mother, the man, the myth, the legend, Pastor Jeremy Isaacs, come on. You can be seated. Thank you so much today for uh, being here and being with us in person or online. It doesn't take a whole lot to get Pastor JC excited. So, you know, I would take that and go, man, he's really excited that I'm here. But I've also seen him dance like that at Mexican restaurants. So, I mean, it's, it's not really that meaningful. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm so thankful to be here today and to be with you here in South Metro Atlanta. Welcome to those of you that are at our Germantown campus of Go Church. Welcome to those of you that are watching online today. Welcome to our first responders and to the military, those that are traveling today. I just want to say welcome to all of you who are a part of this gathering, wherever you are joining us from. We're just so thankful that you've taken time to be with us today. And I'm just thankful for the opportunity to be here today. He, he referenced it just a few minutes ago, but man, we love your pastors. They are, are some of our dearest friends. They really are. And, and I'm just thankful for their investment in, in us and our church. They make us better. And uh, I'm just thankful for he and for Kimberly and for Lakeland and for London. And I'm thankful, he mentioned it just a minute ago, but I'm thankful that this has become a little bit of a tradition because over the last few years, he has invited us to come and to be here on this last Sunday of the year. And, and last night, we were texting back and forth. And, you know, I said, it's really, uh, it, it's, a, it's an amazing feeling. It's a comforting feeling uh, to, to be invited to come and speak somewhere. It's not an easy task. It's not something I take lightly when a pastor will allow someone to come and fill their pulpit. But even weightier than that is a re-invite when they invite you to come back a second or even a third time. And, uh, and so here's what I want to say. I just want to say thank you to you for being really good liars when they come back and telling them that you enjoy No, I'm just kidding. But uh, I really am so thankful to be here. My family, some of my family is here with me today. My wife, Corey, and my oldest son, Cooper, are not here. Uh, Cooper's serving at our home church there in Canton. He plays the drums. But I'm so thankful I've got my three youngest kids with me. Branson, who's in eighth grade, is with me. And then Tucker and Kinley are in Goat Kids today. And so I'm thankful that uh, my family's here with me. So thank you for welcoming us and just making us feel a part of the Go Church family today. I, you know, it's the last Sunday of the year and, and I recognize that there's a lot of things that have been going on. It's Christmas season still. Some of you have already taken down the Christmas decorations. Some of you had your Christmas decorations up since like September. So it's time to get them down. The tree had died a while ago, right? Others of you, you're like, if we could just hang on a little longer, we're going to leave Christmas up till about February just to make sure it really sticks. But, you know, I recognize also that you're anticipating the new year. Pastor Ben was talking about it here at the South Metro Atlanta campus just a few minutes ago about New Year's resolutions and the things that we anticipate and the 
the hopes and dreams that we have for the new year. And so there's this thought that, you know, as we're anticipating the new year, maybe good things are coming and, and surely it can't be as bad as this last year has been. I was listening this, this last few days about somebody saying, hey, we're just in the home stretch here. We're, it feels like we're kind of in the last quarter. We're at the very end of the game. We're in the two-minute warning. And maybe we feel like we're losing. We're down by a few touchdowns. And maybe we feel like we're backed up against our own end zone. And we're just not sure if we're going to be able to make it. But thank God we're playing the Falcons. We've got a chance to win still. Not everybody will get that. And maybe the Germantown family, you don't lament with us here in Atlanta. But man, our Falcons are terrible this year. But maybe better things are on the horizon for us. Today, I want to share with you an idea that came to me uh, out of a business book that I read a few years ago called Heart Smarts, Guts, and Luck. Heart Smarts, Guts, and Luck. Now, when I tell you that this thought came to me as I was reading the book, not, not really the content came out of the book, but just the inspiration. As I was reading, I love to read, and I set some goals every year to read. I believe that leaders are readers, and so I love to read and be inspired in different ways, and I believe that God can use uh, different kinds of books from different genres to really inspire messages from the Spirit of God into my spirit for me to draw closer to God. And as I was reading this book a few years ago for business leaders called Heart, Smarts, Guts, and Luck, it was talking about the different ways that leaders find success. Some of them lead with their heart and their passion. Some of them lead with their, their smarts and their intellect, and they, they come up with plans and strategies. Some of them are gutsy leaders, right? They just, they just take risks. They're not afraid to try something new, it seems like, all the time, and it just seems to work out. And then others, it just seems like they're always in the right place at the right time. There's just a luck to their, their, the, the things that they do and the success that they find. And, and as I was reading this book, and as I was thinking back on this book just over the last few months, I was reminded of one of my favorite passages of Scripture, now, it's not just my favorite passage or one of my favorite passages because I was reading one day and I thought, man, this is a great passage. I need to apply it to my life. It, was, it became one of my favorite passages of Scripture because it was one of my dad's favorite passages of Scripture. And it was one of my dad's favorite passages of Scripture because it was one of his mother's favorite passages of Scripture. And it's found in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. And many of you may could quote it. It says this. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not in your own understanding, but in all of your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. And, and I thought about this idea of heart smarts, guts, and luck, and I was reminded that Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 really uh, shows all of these pieces. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and lean not in your own smarts and your own understanding and trying to determine why and how everything seems to work. But in all of your ways, have the guts to obey God, and he, through the luck and providence and sovereignty of God, would direct your paths into the places that he has for your life. Heart smarts, guts, and luck. How God accomplishes his plans in and through you. And here's what I want you to know today. There's going to be a lot of things that I'll say over the next few minutes, but if you don't take anything else away but this, I want you to know this truth but from God's word, I believe today. God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for your life. Whether you're in person in Atlanta, you're in Germantown, you're watching online, I want you to know today that God has a plan for your life. Now, sometimes that's easy to believe. Other times when we've walked through experiences and circumstances where it's just, we're just not sure how in the world God could work out these details, how God could use these moments to accomplish his plans in our lives, then we think maybe we're out of the plan of God and out of the will of God. And so as I started to think about God having a plan for your life and God having a plan for my life, I started to think about all of those various things, the passion and the heart and the smarts and, and the guts. But really, I wanted to spend a few minutes today at the conclusion of 2020 talking about luck. 
Now, maybe you would say, luck, I don't know that we should talk about luck in church. That seems like something that's different from church and different from God. But when I'm talking about luck, here's, here's really what I mean. I'm talking about this idea of a force that brings good fortune or adversity. The events or circumstances that operate for or against an individual. There seems to be maybe a force or something that's out there and it's working for us. Or sometimes it feels like maybe it seems to even be working against us. Maybe you would say you have good luck. Others may say they have bad luck. Some people say if they had no bad luck, they would have no luck at all. Maybe you feel like you've been lucky in business or lucky in love. And so I want us to look at this idea of luck today to really determine what it is that God does and uses in our lives to accomplish his plans for us. Now, when I think about luck, I've got to admit to you that I've been blessed in so many different ways in my life. But we also have in our family what we refer to as Isaac's luck. Now, Isaac's is my last name. And so we have and we experience from time to time Isaac's luck. My son is is nodding his head because he's experienced this with me. Now, let me just give you a couple of examples of Isaac's luck. Maybe you would call it something different. Here's what Isaac's luck looks like in my life. I, I, I have from time to time gotten a call from my wife in the afternoon that says, hey, when you're leaving the church and you're coming home, I need you to stop by the grocery store and get a few things. And so I'll say, hey, text me the list. And so she'll send me the list. And I am, I don't want to brag, but I am a very efficient shopper. Okay. I don't, I don't meander through the grocery store. I, I don't go back and forth from one side to the other. I go in with a purpose. I am directly going to the items. I've already developed a strategy in my head as I drive to the grocery store. I know we're going to start on the right and we're going to move all the way to the left. We're never going to backtrack. If I have to backtrack, we're coming back a second time later, another time during the day. I'm not going backwards in the grocery store. I'm going to go and get what I need, go straight to the counter. I'm going to check out. And as I'm walking to the checkout counter, here's what I've determined. I know which line will go quickly. Because I'm already doing the mental math, right? You ever do the mental math as you're walking up? You look and you're like, those people are slow. They're loading the the, the conveyor belt pretty slow. I don't want to get behind them. And then you're looking at how many things they have in their their grocery cart, their buggy. You're trying to figure out, okay, how many things? Okay, I've only got a few items here. I I shopped efficiently. I'm going to move quickly through the line. And I'm, I'm surveying the different register checker outer people. And I'm determining if they do speed tests, that guy's faster than that lady right there. I'm getting in that guy's line. And I get into the line because I'm ready to get home to my wife and to my kids and for her to brag on how well I did getting all the items off the grocery list that she sent to me. And without fail, you know what happens when I get in that guy's line? Every single time, do you know what happens? He runs out of register receipt paper on the lady in front of me. And wouldn't you know it, Stephen has never been trained on how to change the receipt paper at register eight. No one in the history of Publix ever thought that Stephen would have to know how to change the receipt paper. And so they didn't teach him how to do that in his training, which I'm sure was weeks and weeks upon end. They forgot that step on that day. And so now I'm left to wait as the guy that was behind me initially is now moving through line 12 faster than I'm moving through line eight because his register has enough receipt paper and mine does. Isaac's luck, right? There are other times when I get into traffic and I hate to sit in traffic. I would rather be driving backwards in the opposite direction than sitting still in traffic. I hate it. I hate to sit still. And so I will choose as I'm driving along 285 or 75 or 85 or 20 or 575, I'm watching and surveying and doing the mental math. This lane is moving faster than my lane. And so I get into that lane with everyone else on my side of Atlanta And we now slow down because the car in front of us has to stop and do an oil change in the middle of the lane. It's Isaac's luck. 
I'll give you a couple of great examples here from restaurants. I love food. I talk about food because I believe it's scriptural. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. I believe food helps us to understand the goodness of God. One of my favorite places is Krispy Kreme. I've been there more than once in my life. And so when I go to Krispy Kreme just a few months ago, I was driving through the drive-thru and I pulled up to the window because the speaker wasn't working, Isaac's luck. And so I pulled up to the window to place my order. And I said, I'll take a dozen glazed for the car and another one for the house. But I, I, didn't, I didn't want to make that a big deal. And so I said, I'll take a dozen glazed. And the lady said, I'm so sorry, we're out of glazed donuts. What? You are out of, then you need to shut down. You need to close crispy. I'm not here for crullers or whatever they're, I'm not, I'm not here for some kind of frosted donut. I need a glazed donut. The hot and now sign is on. What is hot and what is now if I can't get glazed donuts? This is Isaac's luck. I'll give you one more example. There is a national chain right now of restaurant that is trying to pit itself against the franchise that God has blessed. And they are trying to tell us that their chicken sandwich is better than the blessed and highly favored chicken sandwich of another establishment. And I'm appalled quite frankly. But you know how children do. Sometimes children disobey their parents. And so my oldest son loves, I'm not going to name this restaurant, but he loves Popeye's. And so every now and then when he's asking for dinner, he'll say, dad, can, can we go to Popeye's? Can we get dinner at Popeye's? And I'm like, only because it's Sunday and the other godly people are resting today, but these sacrilegious people at Popeye's are open. So yeah, we'll go, we'll go eat a subpar chicken sandwich from Popeye's. And so I've pulled up to Popeye's just recently and I've said, I'll take two chicken sandwich meals, please. Only to have them tell me that they are out of chicken sandwiches. And I'm like, well, then you need to close because Chick-fil-A never has this problem and everyone I know eats there three times a day. Like they never run out of chicken. That's Isaac's luck for you. And so I have what's called Isaac's luck. I don't know how you would describe it, but when I think about some of the things that have happened in my life, I think that there are times that it seems like the entire universe is working against me. There's no glazed donuts and I already had the taste in my mouth. So, so what happens? Maybe it's coincidence. Maybe it's a force. Maybe it's just happenstance. Maybe it's just one of those just so happened moments. Well, luckily when we go to God's word, we actually find some of these types of stories. One of them is found in the book of Ruth, which is in the Old Testament. You can flip there with me if you want to. If you're not sure where it's at and you're not using a digital Bible, you feel free to use the table of contents. She paid for the whole book. You can use it. Ruth chapter 2. I want to summarize quickly for you. The book of Ruth is really the, the, the story, the telling of two women. There are other characters in the initial pages, and there's another character that later comes along in the story. But Ruth and Naomi, and these two women are widows. Both of their husbands have died, and they are joined together now through uh, their devotion and loyalty to one another. And so they travel back from this land that they've moved uh, to, back to Naomi's homeland, and because of the culture of that day, they would not have been able to work. They would not have been able to provide for themselves. And so they are really left to try to determine how in, in God's name, they're going to be able to get anything that they might need. And one day Ruth goes out and she is going to work in the fields. And this is what we read in Ruth chapter two, beginning in verse three. So Ruth went out and she gleaned in the field behind the reapers. She just so happened to be in the field of Boaz, who was from Elimelech's family. She just so happened to be in the field of Boaz, who was from Elimelech's family. 
Now, when you read that without the proper context, it may not jump out at you, but when you look at it in the larger context of the story and what's taking place here, you just look at how it just so happened that she ended up right where she needed to be. I'm going to ask you a question that I'll ask probably several more times in our time together. Was it luck or was it God? Was it luck or was it God? It just so happened that she ended up right where she needed to be. She, she happened upon the field of a man named Elimelech, of a man named Boaz, who was a part of Elimelech's family. Now, Elimelech would have been this, this, he would have been the, the father-in-law. And so he was, this Boaz character was a, a guy that they would have come to know as their kinsman redeemer in the culture of that day. He was someone that Naomi and Ruth had to have to provide for them, to provide protection, to be their provision, to give them food, to give them shelter, to give them support. And it just so happened that she showed up on that day at his field, and it just so happened. Was it luck or was it God? Was it coincidence? I ran across this quote from Albert Einstein. It says, coincidence is God's way of remaining anonymous. Coincidence is God's way of remaining anonymous. What we have determined is that God has a plan for your life. And all of these seemingly coincidental things, these moments of chance, these it just so happened moments, they're seeds in the hands of God planted to bring about his plan in your life and in mine. Let me tell you another story from the Old Testament. This is again, one of my favorites. It's found in chapters 38 through 50 of the book of Genesis. It's a very famous story by, about a guy named Joseph. Joseph was a young man who had a dream, and he did what you do with dreams when you're a young man. He told his dreams to his family, and his brothers hated him for it because the dream was that his brothers and his father and his mother were going to come and bow down and worship him. And so they responded much the same way you would respond if one of your siblings or one of your children said, you're going to worship me. They hated him for it. And so his brothers decided one day, let's kill him. Thankfully, one of his brothers thought better of it and said, instead of killing him, which gets us nothing, let's sell him and make a little money. And so they sell him to a band of gypsies who are moving from one country to another. He gets to this other country and it just so happens that he's sold to a man named Potiphar. And Potiphar has great wealth and Potiphar recognizes the hand of God on Joseph's life and the favor and blessing of God on his life. And so he raises him up all in Potiphar's house to be the second most powerful in command. There's a blessing and favor of God on his life. And so he, 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 he continues to conduct himself in ways that would honor what God has done and now what Potiphar has done. But one day Potiphar's wife, she sees Joseph and she recognizes there's something about Joseph that she desires and so she comes and makes a pass at Joseph. But as a man of integrity, a young man with character, he, he pushes back. But she doesn't like to have her advances spurned. And so, so what she does is she, she tells a lie about him. And so she tells Potiphar and she tells the other people that work there, hey, look, I've got his jacket. He made a pass at me. And so Potiphar could have had him killed. But instead, it just so happens that he puts him in prison instead. He gets to prison and the jailer determines that there's something special about Joseph's life. There's something different about Joseph's character and he raises him up in power in the jail. And he becomes the second most powerful man 
in the prison. If you've ever seen the movie Shawshank Redemption, if you haven't, I encourage you to just turn to TNT pretty much any time during the day, and that's a replay that's on at that point. But Shawshank Redemption, Joseph's now the guy pushing the book cart, and he's just handing supplies through the bars, and he's just helping the guys to find what they need. And so now Joseph is in power in the prison, and it just so happens that Pharaoh throws two of, of his, his servants into prison, into the same prison where Joseph finds himself. And it just so happens that one night those two men have a dream. And it just so happens that as Joseph's passing by one day, they tell him their dream and he is able to tell them exactly what the dream means. To one of them, he says, hey, you're going to be restored back to your place of employment for Pharaoh. And to the other, he says, hey, I've got terrible news. You're actually going to be killed here in just a few days. And it just so happened that both of those things came to pass. But the one that was going to be restored to Pharaoh, Joseph says to him, he says, listen, I am here through no fault of my own. So I need you when you get back to Pharaoh, I need you to remember me. Well, it just so happens that he doesn't remember Joseph. He actually forgets him for three years and Joseph spends three more years in prison through no fault of his own until one night Pharaoh has a dream. And Pharaoh tells this dream to every wise person he can find in the kingdom, those who have touted their ability to to tell what dreams mean. And oh, wouldn't you know it, the guy remembers. There's a guy over here in one of your prisons who can tell you what dreams mean. He actually did this for me just a few years ago. They go and bring Joseph to stand before Pharaoh. And Joseph says to him, you've had these dreams of fat cows and skinny cows and fat grain and skinny grain. And what it means is that there's going to be a season of plenty and then there's going to be a season of famine and you need to make sure you hold on during the season of plenty to all that you can so that during the season of famine, you can sell off all the food that you have gotten and it will raise your wealth and the people will be able to be sustained. And Pharaoh says, hey, sounds like I need a guy to run this feeding program. You're my guy. And it just so happens that Joseph has some time on his hands and some availability. And so Pharaoh raises him up in power. And after the seven years of plenty, wouldn't you know it, it just so happens that Joseph's family in another country gets hungry. And they hear that Pharaoh's got some food. And Joseph's dad sends the brothers, those brothers that sold off Joseph into slavery. He sends the brothers to go and find food, not knowing that they had to go and present themselves to Joseph. And it just so happened, they walked into the room where Joseph was. Joseph cries as his brothers bow down to worship. Was it luck or was it God that over 20 years later, the dream became a reality as Joseph endured moments of prison and betrayal and forgottenness and lies and deceit, was it luck or was it God? Let me tell you one more story quickly. New Testament. There's a guy by the name Apostle Paul. He used to be called Saul. He was persecuting Christians. He was wreaking havoc in the early church and in the days of that first century as the establishment of the church was coming to be. And so One day he's traveling on this road to Damascus and a bright light comes down from heaven and calls him by name. He submits his life to God in that moment and he goes and spends some time with the other disciples, the apostles of that time. And they had to be terrified because this was the guy that was killing people like them. But it just so happens that they take him in and they invest in him for a season of time. And then he goes out and he begins to establish more and more of that early church. He goes and he, he debates in the synagogues and he teaches the truths of God's word through the training that he had received and now the empowerment of the spirit of God. And he gets arrested as it would happen. 
And he eventually finds himself having to stand before the leaders, the, the governmental leaders of that day. He has to go and stand before Festus, and he goes and stands before uh, Felix, and he goes to stand before King Agrippa. And eventually he says, hey, I'm a Roman citizen. I want to plead my case before Caesar in Rome. And they say, okay, we'll send you to Rome, but it's about wintertime. And this is what we read in Acts chapter 27. We'll skip around a little bit, but I'll guide you where we're going. Beginning in verse 13 of Acts 27. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity. So they weighed anchor and they sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island and the ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. So we gave way to it and were driven along. Verse 27. On the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea. When about midnight, the sailors sensed that they were approaching land. Verse 41. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow struck fast and would not move, and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. By chance, by wind, as luck would have it, he eventually made his way to Rome. But not before they were stranded on the island of Malta. And when they get out on this island, they're building a fire and Paul reaches into that fire to reset some wood and a snake jumps out and grabs him by the wrist and bites him. And the people there on Malta and the other sailors that were with him assume that now this is the punishment of God, the, the judgment of God. He must be a murderer. God's not going to allow him to escape freely on Malta, but he survives. And so they take him, they say, there's something special about you. And so they take him before the governmental leaders of that island and they get all the resources they need to continue their trip. And eventually Paul makes his way to Rome to plead his case before Caesar. Was it luck or was it God? Here, here's what I believe. When we read through these stories, it is so easy for us to believe that these men and these women who are a part of these stories are a part of the plans of God because we can see the beginning of the story and the end of the story all at the same time. It's just within a few verses or a few chapters or a few pages. But when you and I are living out these moments day by day and hour by hour and moment by moment, we're just not sure that God's actually in control. We're just not sure that God even knows what's happening in our lives because it feels like we're alone. We're walking out our own shipwreck moments. We're walking out our own moments of lies and betrayal and it seems like we've been forgotten by everyone who promised us they would not forget us. We're walking out our moments of pain like Ruth and Naomi and we just don't believe that God is in control, that God actually has a plan, that God can actually use these days. But when we read these stories, we can believe it. But when we're living our lives, we're just not so sure. When I was in college, president of our university, who's no longer the president now, he's the chancellor, he was speaking in a chapel service one Sunday night, and he used this illustration. I'll change the, the cities, the locations, to make a little more sense for us. But he said, if I were to get in my car tonight in Cleveland, Tennessee, and drive to Chattanooga, which was about 30 minutes, maybe to go from Germantown closer to D.C., maybe to go from here where we're at at South Metro Atlanta, closer to the airport, or maybe to downtown Atlanta, so 30, 40-minute drive. He said, if I were to get in my car and to drive tonight from Cleveland to Chattanooga, I could not see all the way from Cleveland to Chattanooga. I could only see from my car to the end of my headlights. He said, I believe that's the way that God reveals his plans to us. And here's what I know about me. 
I can't speak about you. I don't know who you are, where you're from, how you approach God, how you approach life. But I know me, and when I think about me, I know the way that God presents information to me. He gives me just enough to keep me moving forward. Because if I was in my car chasing after the plans of God for my life and God revealed the next 30 minutes, the next 30 days, the next 30 years of my life, I would get in a hurry. I would be looking for a great parking spot and I would rear in the car right in front of me. I would be trying to determine how it all makes sense way out there and how all of these pieces are going to come together and I would miss my exit. I would begin to speed up to try to get there faster because so much of that appears to be what I want now for my life. And as I tried to speed up and I get in a hurry, I would miss the moments right now that God is trying to use today for my good. So God just reveals moments at a time and maybe days at a time. He just reveals from now to the end of your headlight so that you have to trust him one day at a time. Remember what we read earlier in our time together, Proverbs chapter three, verse five and six. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and with all of your mind. He says, you don't have to try to make sense of all the pieces. You don't have to know all of the strategy and all of the plan. And you don't have to see how all of the roads connect in all of your ways, in all of your days. Just acknowledge him and trust that he is directing your paths. We are constantly focused on God's plan in the present and in the future, but rarely does God's plan make sense to us in the present or for the future. Often God's plan only makes sense in the past. When I think about how that comes to be in my life, I'm reminded of a phrase I've heard nearly all of my life, that hindsight's 2020. Do you know that five days from now will be the first time in history that hindsight's actually been 2020? Some of you won't get that. You'll have to tell your friend on the way home, okay? Hindsight will be 2020 when we get to 2021. And I don't know about you, but for the last few weeks and the last few months, I have been anticipating how quickly can we get out of 2020. God, would you get us through it? Would you get us to what's next? I've been thinking about what's next. I've been hoping for what's next. I've been believing for what's next. I've been, I've been chasing after what's next. Because hindsight's 2020, and I'm so ready for hindsight to be 2020. But I come to this passage of scripture, very famous, often quoted, makes a great Facebook meme, looks good on a coffee mug, comes from Romans chapter 8, verse 28. This is what it says. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Stop right there. The second half is just as good and helps bring tons of clarity. But let's stop right there for just a second. Not to take it out of context, but just to kind of give us greater focus for just a moment. And we know that in all things, everybody say all things. Even if you're watching online, say all things. If you're in Germantown, say all things, right? We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. In all things. You know what's occurred to me in 2020 that I don't know if I'd fully ever grasped before? All things actually means all things. You've known that. I didn't know that. I thought I knew that. I thought I was aware. 
But all things means all things. It's kind of like when you stand at the altar and you're looking across at your bride or your groom and you make these statements that you hope to fulfill, you want to fulfill with all the faith and trust and love that you can muster with googly eyes looking at them. You say, I love you for better or worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health until death do us part. You know when it's easier to love? When it's better, not when it's worse. When you're in health, not when you're sick. You know when it's easy to love? When you are richer, not always when you are poor. When I read 828, in Romans, I, I forgot that all things means all things. I forgot that all things means better and worse. I forgot that all things means richer and poorer. I forgot that all things means got the job and didn't get the job. I forgot that all things meant got a good report and they got to run more tests. I forgot that all things actually means all things. And so if I forgot it, but now I know it, then I read it differently. And this is how I read it. And we know that in the good times and in the bad times, we know when the ship is moving forward and when the ship runs into a sandbar and falls apart, that God is still working out his plans in your life. And we know that when you are telling your family dreams with excitement and passion and courage to believe that God could actually accomplish what you believe God is trying to accomplish, we know that in those moments, God is working out his plan, but we also know when those same people betray you and they sell you and you go to prison and you go to Potiphar's house and people lie about you. And we know that when people forget that you helped them, even when they said they wouldn't forget you, that God is working all things together for good to accomplish his plans in your life and in my life. And we know that in moments where you faced unexplainable tragedy like Ruth and Naomi, pain and heartache that you cannot explain. When you are trying to comfort yourself with the words of God and the well-intended words of others in a funeral line. That in all things, God is still working. God is still working out his plan in my life even on the days that I wanna get through as fast as I possibly, you're telling me that all things includes 2020? That God's still at work, that God is still present, that God is still close. You're telling me that the same faith that I can read these words with and believe that God is active in their life, that God is just as active in my life, that in all things, that in all things, God is working those things together for the good. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all of your heart 
And lean not in your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. He'll direct your paths. Now, here's what I know. Some of you are listening today. And as you listen today, you are trying to say, okay, well, that sounds good. But then does it even matter what I do? If you're telling me that God's got a plan and God's working out a plan in the good and the bad, then does it matter what I do? Am I not just some kind of puppet in the plan of God? You know what I did last night? Last night, I went to my closet and I picked out a couple of shirts. Now, maybe as you look at me, you wish that I would have picked a different shirt. And you may not be wrong. You know who picked this outfit for me to wear just a few minutes ago? My nine-year-old daughter. She liked pink and blue together. She thought it looked nice. I just think it helps hide a little bit of my holiday weight right now. But 21 days of prayer and fasting is coming. Can I get an amen from anybody? Come on. I picked this out. I had choices. Back here in this office, there's a couple of other shirts I could have chosen to wear, but I chose. And then I got in my car this morning to drive here while it was still dark, and there were a number of ways I could have gone. Several different times throughout our trip, I could have gone to the right or to the left, and I chose which way to go. And I got here, and I actually chose which seat to sit in. They didn't tell me where to sit. They, they just pointed me in a general area, and I just went and picked a seat in that general area. I chose. I am not a puppet in the plans of God. I am a participant in the plans of God. You can choose to trust in the Lord with all of your heart, but you can also choose not to trust God. You can choose not to try to make everything make sense in your head and to actually live by the faith of the evidence of things that you hope for and the things that you cannot see. You get to choose. I can choose whether to acknowledge him in all of my ways or I can choose not to acknowledge him with any of my ways, any of my days. But here's what I believe, that when I trust in the Lord, even when it doesn't all make sense and I acknowledge him to the very best of my ability, that God is directing my path. He's working all things together for good. And it requires me to live in the present and to believe in the future what will probably only make sense in the past. Very rarely will you be walking through a day and you go, I know exactly how God is using this. Very rarely can you look towards your future and say, I know exactly what God is going to do to use that moment. But how often have we gotten on the other side the other side and we've looked back and we said, oh, I see, I see what God did. It doesn't feel like the plan of God when you're shipwrecked. It doesn't feel like the plan of God when you are imprisoned. It doesn't feel like the plans of God when you are hurting. But if you can just stay the course and trust God just one more day, and just believe God to the end of your headlights and just wake up tomorrow and say, God, I'm gonna give you one more day and I'm gonna trust you one more moment and one more hour. On the other side, you can look back and say, God, thank you that you work all things together for the good. So here's my question for you today before we pray. If you really believed that God had a plan for your life, how would you live today? If you really believed that God had a plan 
what would you do differently? How would you walk through your pain? How would you walk through betrayal? How would you respond to hurts? How would you respond to detours? If you really believed that God had a plan, how would you live your life? I'm gonna ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. Whether you're in the house or you're watching online, just a moment of personal reflection between you and God. Nobody's looking around. If you would say this morning, Jeremy, for me, I know that my first and next step is to ask Jesus to be the Lord of my life, to forgive my sins and to lead me into the paths that he's directing for me. And I don't want 2020 to end before I make this decision. Would you just lift your hand right where you're at? I wanna pray for you. If you're watching online, maybe you type that in the chat. Let us know how we can pray for you today. And then if you would say, I just wanna be reminded that God is in control. Would you lift your hand right where you're at? God, I love you today. And I thank you so much that on this last Sunday of 2020, that you are just as much in control as we believed you to be on the last Sunday of 2019 and 2018. God, we're trusting you like never before because it's our only hope. It's our only choice. And so God, now we pray for those who are making that decision to accept you as the Lord and Savior of their life, forgive their sins, and lead them into everlasting life with you that begins right now. We thank you, God, that you're changing families, you're changing generations and stories right now. And God, I pray that you would help those of us who responded today to say, I just wanna know that he's in control. I just wanna be reminded that he's working all things together. It doesn't make sense right now. It may not make sense tomorrow, but when I get on the other side, I wanna look back and know that God has been for me the whole time. God, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray.